from Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour. This is indeed the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it as we move into the new year, and the new year is just uh, packed with all kinds of uh, wonderful events and uh, wonderful opportunities for all of us as as we move. And, and don't don't worry, uh, one day very soon I'm going to be saying, guess what? Ash Wednesday's right on the corner, but not quite yet. We are pleased uh, to welcome in Molly Sheehan, uh, who is the Associate Director for Healthy Families for the California Catholic Conference. The conference uh, represents all the bishops of the state of California. Molly, good day to you. Great to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great great to have you, Molly. Uh, Molly joins us by phone. Uh, the conference is headquartered here in Sacramento, I guess partly because the Capitol is here in Sacramento, and it's really nice that they built the cathedral where we could keep an eye on the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> it's very useful. It's very useful, indeed. You're located, what, in downtown Sacramento? Yes. So we're able to have easy access to the Capitol and to um, members' offices, go talk to them about legislation coming up and things that are important to the bishops and to all Catholics. So lobbying is part of the job? That's the majority of the job. Yep, uh-huh. I go and talk to members and uh, go and testify on bills, uh, write letters about the legislation to um, the committees in the state legislature, and just really try to educate them on what the Catholic view is with regards to a lot of the issues that they're looking at um, over there in the state capitol. How long have you been with the conference? I have now been here two years, and mm-hmm. it's just it's been a real gift. Oh, that's that's wonderful. What were you doing before? What you, tell us just a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I I grew up here in Sacramento, so it's nice to to be home. But uh, I've bounced around the country. I worked for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles for a while and ran their Walk for Life. I worked in uh, Washington D.C. on Capitol Hill for a little bit. I got my master's in theological studies out there in studies of marriage and family. Um, and then I lobbied for the Maryland bishops for uh, a year and a half before I moved back to Sacramento and um, got this job and just really digging deep into the state legislature. Um, and it's nice to you know have the, the local California roots and be able to advocate for um, the place that you know I grew up and that it is very important to me. And you said you, you went to school in D.C. Was that Catholic University or? Yes. So I went to the Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Studies of Marriage and Family, and that's on the campus of Catholic University, but it's a little tiny school. And uh, it was, yeah, a real, real treat to be able to to study there and really marinate in the issues of, you know, marriage and family and learn from really smart people. That's wonderful. Where'd you go to high school here in Sacramento? Uh, I was homeschooled. Oh, you were homeschooled. Wow. Yes. Yes, I was. Very good. (laughs) Gabe's raising uh, his hand. His kids are homeschooled. <laughs> there you go, Gabe. <laughs> My mother was smarter than we were, so she didn't homeschool us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, tell us a little bit of, about the kinds of issues you cover. It seems like every year I, I open the paper and it says, you know, 1,200 new bills introduced, sometimes 1,200 new laws passed. And I go, wait a minute. Does that mean there were a thousand things wrong last year that needed correcting? It's amazing the volume of bills that come through the California legislature. It is. You know, uh, you're right. There's actually about 3,000 bills that are introduced every year. Um, So we have to sift through all of those, and um, it's a good time. So uh, the issues I cover um, within those, you know, 3,000 pieces of legislation that gets introduced in the capital every year is I look at, you know, things that help families thrive. What would support families and help them to be able to thrive here in the state of California? So that includes everything from, you know, pro-life policy at the beginning of life and at the end of life, um, looking at, you know, issues like human trafficking and foster care, looking at mental health and uh, paid family leave and, you know, what what would really make it possible for families to be able to uh, stay in California, to live here and to be able to raise their children here? Wow. And there's there's really... I'm sure uh, the legislators, uh, sometimes they know uh, ahead of time when somebody comes to see them, well, this person's on this side of, of 
every issue or that side of every issue, whereas with the Catholic Church and the Catholic Conference, we're not easy to pigeonhole in terms of politics, are we? Absolutely. You know, the, it's it's nice to be able to see whoever I'm going to go meet with. I look at what they're interested in and I say, well, you know, you care about people experiencing poverty. So do we. You care about uh, uh, women, children and families. So do we. You know, uh, you care about the most vulnerable in our society. You care about, you know, people who are uh, homeless or who are incarcerated or, you know, whatever the issue might be, like we care about those human beings too. Uh, we care about those families too. And so I wanna be able to talk to you about um, what you're passionate about. And, uh, it really it really helps those conversations to go a little more smoothly, especially when then you have to pivot to something that's a little more controversial. You have that, that good background that we all care about the most vulnerable um, and we want families to be able to do well here in the state. What, what sorts of things are you working on now? Well, so the legislature just got back today. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a few bills that are left over. This is the first day of um, the, the second year in this cycle. So you have a, a two-year legislative session. Um, so by February 17th, we'll see a lot of bills be introduced. We're not sure what those all will be yet. Those kind of get dumped in at the end. But right now, we're waiting to see some bills that would impact um, pregnancy centers that have been held over from last year. We've got a couple bills that are um, dealing with the issue of human trafficking, especially um, the, the growing issue of labor trafficking in the state. Um, we've got some consideration of how do we support people who um, are receiving care at home at the end of their life. Uh, so a lot of different topics. Um, and then we expect to see issues come up this year talking about um, uh, gender, uh, issues related to how do we support foster youth, um, issues about potentially a assisted suicide and um, how that's experienced in the state. So we'll see where, where all of these things end up, but those are some of the, the issue areas I expect to be um, really expansive. Oh, I should mention too, um, substance use disorders, especially dealing with the opioid crisis. That is a, a growing uh, issue here in the state. There's, there's a growing concern about the number of um, overdose deaths, especially um, accidental overdose deaths due to opioids. And so, um, especially with fentanyl and, and um, new drugs coming out. So uh, we expect that'll be a huge issue too. How is that a, an issue legislatively in terms of um, the drugs are already illegal and uh, how, how is it a legislative issue? Like what, what kinds of things are legislators likely or that you know of to propose to, to deal with that problem? Sure. So uh, last year we saw a lot of bills that was encouraging provision of Narcan or, or similar substance that mm -hmm, can be mm -hmm. um, administered to a person that's experiencing an overdose. Like an uh, antidote. And make sure that, yeah, and make sure that that's available at schools or at, you know, uh, parks and stadiums or that, you know, the general public is able to be trained on by someone so that if they, uh, you know, their, their loved one is uh, experiencing an overdose, um, potentially an accidental overdose, they're able to administer that antidote and, and save a life. So we saw a lot of bills about that last year. Um, there's also a question of how this issue is prosecuted because um, if you, if someone deals drugs and, and those drugs lead to the death of a person, right now, um, it's not often that that person is prosecuted for that death. So right. uh, there is a question of should that person be charged um, with manslaughter or with murder? And um, that's been a very controversial issue in the legislature. And that continues to be to be talked about. Of how do you look at that? Um, and one of the proposals um, which the bishop supported was to say, you know, let's consider this the same way that we consider drunk driving. The first time that you drive drunk, perhaps you didn't know. Right. Perhaps you didn't know that that could could lead to someone's death. So we give you an advisory warning that that is really dangerous behavior and that could kill someone so that the next time if you drive drunk again um, and it does lead to someone's death, that you, you then can be charged with a crime for that mm -hmm. because you've been warned. So there's a bill that um, proposed to do the same thing with uh, with fentanyl. Um, unfortunately, that bill did not pass. Um, but that's an ongoing conversation that I expect will come back this year. So what what I'm not you know, we don't do politics here in terms of political parties and things like that, but what's the nature of the opposition to that? It seems like a very reasonable uh, uh, proposition, although frequently I hear one side and then I hear the other side and go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, what's, what's the nature of the opposition to that? The opposition's concern is that it could trap people who are um, 
you know, might not know what, what they're getting themselves into, or they might panic. So, you know, if, if their friend overdoses and then they don't know what to do and they, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they didn't have something on hand, um, if, if they were the dealer, like, could they be caught up in some kind of legal case? Um, you know, really the, the concern is how it would impact um, uh, people that don't have means, people that don't have access to good lawyers, people who, um, mm-hmm. you know, are more likely to be charged with crimes anyway that that they may not have committed. So I think that the concerns are really the unintended consequences. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, whatever side you're on, there's a lot of conversation about how do we make sure that, you know, our young people are not overdosing on um, on opioids and how do we make sure that, you know, people are able to, to respond well to this, whether you're a, a good Samaritan that's able to respond whether that's prevention and education in schools, which has really been prioritized, um, you know, whether that's responding to this in the criminal justice system, what does it look like for a society to respond to a crisis that's that's growing as big as this one is? And the, the issue of Narcan, that, that has to do with who's going to have it, or are they going to have it in schools, or are they going to have it in police departments, and fire departments, et cetera? Yeah, so historically it's only been the fire department that had access to narcan and now it's available over the counter it's available through you know your police department you can get a training on it Um, and now your schools are required to have it so Mm -hmm. that um, if a student you know has an accidental overdose that that they're able to respond immediately um, to to reverse that overdose because uh, time is really of the essence in those cases and so that's been really good to see this this push to say let's make sure that you know we're we're prepared for those circumstances and then long term we can do education about the need to you know um, really say no to these to these lethal drugs but um, at the same time recognizing that the proliferation has just continued to grow and we need to be able to respond to that in a timely manner as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe the state of Oregon has already criminalized, uh, you know, if, if you were the one that provided the, the fentanyl. I don't know if they are charging it as a capital crime or not, but uh, uh, state, of, state of Oregon, I'm pretty sure, has done that. You know, I, I wouldn't know the answer to that, but I, here in California, um, there there is one county or two counties that have done so, but um, a lot of the time it's the family members um, who who have lost their children right. due to an accidental overdose who are saying, "Hey, no one was charged with the death of my child," and you know it, it's it's been devastating for them the the loss and then the fact that there's um, the the justice system does not seem equipped to be able to respond in these cases to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that the dealer does not. Um, you know, end up killing someone else by continuing to distribute opioids. So that's really what's prompting this conversation of how do we respond in uh, in a public safety manner to this issue. We're talking with Molly Sheehan from the uh, California Catholic Conference. Molly, uh, you mentioned uh, human trafficking. I've heard on several occasions that Sacramento was one of the sort of almost ground zero on human trafficking. Is Is that the case? So Sacramento is a uh, a major location for human trafficking, um, certainly both uh, sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, and part of the reason for that is because you do have a a, a lot of um, modes of transportation, and a lot of people point to those, you know, ports and uh, and international airport and um, you know major freeways. Um, but the other reason is it's it's a large population center. Um, it has a lot of vulnerable communities. And when you look at human trafficking, you need to be considering like who is most vulnerable to trafficking. And it's quite often people who do not have other supports. So those who are homeless, um, runaway youth, youth who have spent time in foster care, people coming from broken families, um, and people who have already experienced abuse, uh, people with substance use disorders, or um, who are new immigrants to the country and you know are promised a job and uh, tricked in a different way. So if you're looking at, oh, these are, these are the communities that are vulnerable, Sacramento has a very large uh, population of those communities that would be most vulnerable um, to being coerced into a trafficking situation. Are most of them from other countries? They got promised jobs, et cetera, or, or not? No, so uh, the Attorney General's office actually did a report a few years ago that found 75% of uh, trafficking victims in California are U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and the majority of trafficking takes place within the neighborhoods um, and areas where that person is from. Um, there doesn't have to be movement for trafficking to take place. So a lot of the time people will be trafficked within their own neighborhood. Um, the, the, the very definition of trafficking is if um, 
in short, if someone is um, provided whether by force, fraud, or coercion into commercial sex acts or for the purpose of forced labor. And a lot of the time that, that takes place within the area that the person is, is living or um, is, is local to. So unfortunately, it's, it's a lot of um, folks who are from, in our case, Sacramento, um, who grew up here, who live here, um, but come from some kind of vulnerability. Something made them vulnerable um, uh, that a trafficker has exploited and is now um, using them for the purposes of commercial sex or forced labor. Is, is the majority of it sex or is the majority of it forced labor? Um, it, you know, it's hard to actually say. The statistics really depend on um, what what survey is being done um, but a lot of the time there can also be overlap where the same person will experience forced labor and sex trafficking so um, i think it's just important for people to know that both take place um, and both occur in sacramento um, i think that sex trafficking uh, if you're talking to the sacramento sheriff sex trafficking is uh, slightly more common in sacramento but there um, there are people experiencing both unfortunately and with with labor how do uh, how does how does that happen? How does that work, if you will? And, you don't want it to work, but how does, what are the details? So a lot of, of the that? time, yeah. So a lot of the time, um, what you see from uh, the, the statistics, uh, it's, it, it occurs in certain sectors. So whether that's the hotel sector, restaurant sector, um, agricultural uh, mm -hmm. work as a common one. Um, it's uh, a lot of domestic work as well. So someone that is, sometimes promised a, a job or coerced into a job um, said that, you know, we'll give you really good pay. Um, and then a lot of the time their documents are taken from them or they are not receiving that pay um, and things continue to get worse as that person may be told, oh, you have a debt that you have to pay off or, oh, we'll pay you later. Um, and, you know, through through those methods of forced fraud and coercion is continued to, to experience that um, forced labor um, and, and not being compensated for that. And what sort of legislative issues are there around that? So there's a question of, can we create uh, a statewide task force on human trafficking? Because um, that hasn't existed so far in the state. Uh, another bill is saying, you know, can we clear the supply chain here in California of forced labor um, and make sure that, you know, the contractors that the state is partnering with are not uh, using um, mm -hmm. uh, forced labor which is a huge deal um, and it's very hard to to make sure that your supply chain is clean but um that's really important uh there's another question of you know is there a, an entity in the state that can specifically uh, investigate crimes like forced labor um and another bill that i think would be really great um would allow uh, children who have uh, been uh experienced sex trafficking and had their images posted online to be able to sue to have those images taken down because mm -hmm. some um, especially uh, pornographic websites will keep those images up there um, and will refuse to take them down and so those children continue to experience that victimization because their image is still out there um, and, and still floating around and they're not able to get control of that aspect of their life and so uh, that bill would be really great to see if you could, you know, sue to get that taken down and make sure that these bad actors are not continuing to, um, to, to, to promote uh, this, uh, this material that, that should not be out there of, of these people. We hear all the time about the, the great divide in our country. We don't even have to talk about it. It's pretty evident uh, in, in so many legislators and uh, you know one party says it's monday and the other party is immediately going to say it's tuesday you know it's just so dramatic uh, compared to maybe a few decades ago do you see issues where where there is good bipartisanship in the california legislature i think you can see bipartisanship when you're talking about the importance of of, of people and of issues uh, at the same time at the at the end of the day, there's going to be disagreement about you know truly the nature of the human person about uh, you know what does it mean to to protect the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time you can you can articulate this um, for folks to to a degree, um, but once th there's not going to be that reciprocation uh, when it comes to you know talking about uh, you, for example if. if 
if if I am articulating like, hey, you know, we need to take care of people who are in poverty, and we need to take care of people who are, um, you know, experiencing human trafficking, for example, um, you'll have you'll have both sides agreeing, right? Sure, right. sure, sure. But it's really when it when the rubber meets the road of like, hey, uh, you know, we need to be able to protect, you know, the unborn, or we need to be able to protect, um, you know, people on death row. Like, it's very difficult to get people to to see those things as as valuable or or to agree with those mm-hmm. those issues. So, you mentioned death row, and and when we were talking off air, you said we have the you know the largest death row still in California, although executions are rare, if almost non-existent now. What is the the status of someone who's on death row now in in California? So California has eliminated its death chamber. Um, mm-hmm. Governor Newsom dismantled the death chamber. Right. Um, there hasn't been an execution since the early 2000s. Um, and, but we still have the largest death row um, of any state in the nation and, and most uh, larger death row than many countries in the world um, of more than 650 people. Right. So these people still have a death sentence. Um, there's the question is now what what happens to them and um, if a different governor came in and reinstituted the death penalty that could certainly take place um, so they're they're kind of still in this limbo um, as death row is often experienced of what happens now someone could still come in and say yeah um, we're going to implement the death penalty um, or it could continue to be stayed indefinitely so that's that's what's that's that's so, where that currently is at. So the governor the governor didn't, uh, you know, uh, grant them clemency, but he uh, eliminated the means to to kill them. Right, and there's a question of whether uh, there's a movement to ask for universal clemency for people on death row to say the death the death penalty is immoral. It should not exist. Um, it's not necessary to to protect our society anymore. Um, we can, we, you know, our, our maximum security prisons are able to protect people. And so let's just utilize that and eliminate the death penalty in California um, by using universal clemency. But the, the question is whether the governor would, would want to take that route or not. Um, that's kind of up in the air. The, the other option would be a referendum, again, to change California's constitution. Um, the last time that was tried was in 2016, and that failed. And in, instead, a, a law passed that said, let's speed up the use of the death penalty. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of this really interesting situation in California um, where it's a very progressive state, but unlike many of its other neighbors, um, it still has uh, the death penalty um, on the table, whether or not it, uh, it w- although it's not been used in practice for, you know, about two decades. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when, when things go to the uh, referendum of the people, which is something philosophically I've always felt was probably a good thing, you know, uh, you know, let, let the people speak. But it, it, I, I remember with uh, the two or three times we tried parental notification on abortion, uh, early on all the polls were, yeah, this, this is common sense, this is, this is good stuff. And by election day, it always failed. And, and I've seen yeah. the same thing with, like you pointed out with the death penalty, with eliminating it's- the death penalty. It's difficult to get everyone on your side, and it's difficult to really articulate why the death penalty um, is is not needed anymore. Um, I think it, it comes down to a lot of uh, folks' fears and their desire for for justice, but also the sense sometimes of of a desire for retribution. And you know, I, I think that the the Catholic perspective is helpful to say every human being has dignity, including the worst person on death row who has committed grievous crimes. Um, we want to be able to support the the victims and their families. Um, and we also want to make sure that this person is able to repent and change their life um, and that they um, deserve to, uh, you know, be able to repent from that from that crime and, and take the time to have their, their dignity recognized as well. So it's, but that's hard. That's a hard sell for a lot of people. And it's understandable why. Um, it's one of the gifts of being Catholic and having this 
uh, perspective that every single human being matters. We say that the child in the womb matters. We say that um, you know the the child in foster care or the you know victim of human trafficking matters. We say that the um, person who is dealing drugs matters, and we say that the, the person on death row matters. That that every single person matters, um, and every single person should be invited to an encounter with Jesus Christ and to to be able to to live their their life and their vocation um, and live the way God has called them to. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's 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 very it's a very consistent position, but politically you'll see great divides on those where it's where people are you know very definitely on this one side when it comes to say abortion and on a different side when it comes to the death penalty. Uh, the Catholic position I think is very consistent. Uh, I, Cardinal Bernadine used to call it the seamless garment, and. Uh, I remember I remember years ago when I had a talk show on KFBK, not a religious show, but just a, you know, a nighttime talk show. And for some reason, that was a long time ago. And I think we were coming upon an execution and and I was uh, speaking as the host as as against the death penalty. And and somebody called in and said there was a call in show and said, well, if you're so against the death penalty, how come you're in favor of abortion? And I, <laughs> I stopped and I said, when have you ever heard me say that? <laughs> you know, and but they just made that assumption that that, you know, they have everybody in a box, everybody in a category. If you're in favor of this, you're against that. And I, I said, no, I'm I'm against both. I'm against the death penalty. I'm against uh, abortion, you know, but uh, uh, many, many people don't don't see it that way. It's, it makes your job very uh, interesting and difficult, I think. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's important for people to understand when they hear, you know, the seamless garment that, um, which I think is a helpful view, you know, you need people, people then think that every single issue is the same and they're not right. I mean, just like in the criminal justice system, some, you know, crimes have, have greater punishments. Um, we know in our own lives that some issues are, are, a bigger deal than others. Some some things are, are more important than others, and that's okay to say, right? Right, right. now in our right. in Sacramento, you the homelessness crisis has skyrocketed. It really and has. So it's important yep. for us to be able to say that really needs our focus today, right now, right? Um, that that would be completely different if we lived in a city that did not have a homeless crisis. Right. Then we would need to look at something different, right? Um, so it's the same thing with you know, sometimes when you when you make these arguments, people say, well, well, then are you, you know, does that mean that you don't really need to care about something like abortion? And I say, no, of course you need to care about that. Like that, that, you know, there's a reason that we care about the most vulnerable, right? And right. so we look around, we look at our local area and we say, who is the most vulnerable in, in our society near me? Who are my neighbors who are most vulnerable? Um, and so, you know, the child in the womb, that's the most vulnerable, right? The, the, the person at the end of their life who is um, being, uh, targeted for assisted suicide, right? And told you're a burden and really you just, you shouldn't be here anymore, right? You know, there's a reason we focus on those as the most vulnerable. And at the same time, that doesn't mean we can say, well, I'm only gonna look at this one person and I'm not gonna look at um, my many neighbors who who are suffering. Um, instead, Jesus calls us to a different kind of a vision, one that sees every single person as valuable and and sees, you know, all of the people that we've, we've been talking about on this show as as worthy of, of being uplifted um, and invited into um, into into a better life, a, a better way of living, um, and invited into the world as God sees it. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but you know, many people don't share our religious beliefs, and it's it, and I, I have to admit that that my my feeling about the seamless garment, it isn't it isn't become from it came from formal church teaching as much as it did. The, the basics of our faith, which is we're all children of God, we were all created by God, we're all equal in God's eyes, and therefore anything that God, God doesn't make mistakes, anything that God created is, is sacred, you know, and just those, those very basics, and I think it, it's sometimes hard to convince people who don't share our faith um, and you know we're not want the legislature to pass laws about whether or not the uh, <laughs> the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ or anything. We don't need the legislature to do that kind of thing. But the the, the basic values uh, is is very definitely their job. 
Absolutely. You need the legislature to recognize some key truths, which is that uh, the human person deserves to be protected, right? That the family is where we are nurtured um, and grow um, and, and where we thrive. And so the family needs to be protected as the, the you know, the, the, the most basic cell of, of a society. Um, you need to have both subsidiarity and solidarity, right? So our Catholic social yep. teaching says, you know, you want to stand shoulder to shoulder with people. Um, and you also want to let people be able to make decisions um, for themselves. So you need all of these different elements and that's what you want a legislature to be looking at is how do we build a society um, that is worthy of, of human beings. Uh, and, and I think Catholic social teaching does a great job of articulating what that would look like, um, truly uplifting human beings in the context of families because that's where we, we really thrive. Um, you know, celebrating marriage because that's, that's what builds uh, your, your, solid, your solid family. So it just, you know, so many different things like that that, that we get to celebrate as Catholics and really, um, really promote. We're talking with Molly Sheehan, who's the Associate Director for Healthy Families at the California Catholic Conference representing all the bishops of the uh, state of California. Molly, you mentioned end of life and and beyond the, you know, the assisted suicide and all that, there, there are a lot of people uh, taking care of, a, a, not necessarily in hospice, but somebody, uh, I, I remember with my own father, he had Parkinson's for a number of years and gradually debilitated and need more care and need more care. And it it fell mostly on the family members. Tell us what's available. I, I was talking to somebody the other day who was in that situation. And don't, don't we sometimes even allow family members to be paid some bit uh, to take care of another family member? Yeah, so there there is resources to to be able to be paid for you know care caregiving, especially um, it's called in home supportive services, mm -hmm. and so sometimes you can be a paid caregiver if you're you know really caregiving has become your full time job, um, and. I just want to say, if you're a caregiver for anyone, you know, a small child or an older person or a neighbor or whoever, like God bless you. That's that's um, such a such a, a great way it of is. expressing what what it means to to be a human being and and what it means to to be a, a, a Christian, to really be a Christ follower and and supporting and loving the the person next to you. That's um, what a gift and what a gift that you're doing that. You know. Um, uh, there are resources out there for caregivers too. And I think that's important for people to know. Sometimes you can really pour yourself into this role um, and just and give of yourself and give of yourself. And it's really important to be able to take care of yourself too. So um, there are caregiver support groups out there. I'd strongly recommend looking into those if, if you're a caregiver. Um, there's there's resources if you're, you know, doing advanced care planning for your family. So, uh, you know, just if they need an advanced directive, if they need, um, you know, figure out what kinds of forms you need to fill out. Um, we have a website for the Caring for the Whole Person initiative. It's called, the, the website is wholeperson.care, uh, W-H-O-L-E person.care. And a lot of those resources are out there, um, just, to, just to give a quick shout out to that. Um, and, and to really say that that is a way um, in our society where we push back in, against this idea too, that, um, that anyone is a, uh, you know, is, is a burden. Um, every single person is interdependent, right? So if we're, we're, uh, we're, we have some level of independence, we're able to make decisions for ourselves. And then we have other times when we're totally dependent on others. Every single one of us is dependent on someone. Um, we're dependent on our families, right? We need our friends, we, we lean on each other. Um, and so it's, it's a gift to be able to recognize the dignity and the beauty of the person next to you when you are doing that caregiving, um, when you're supporting them through tough times. Um, you're able to see the face of Christ in that person. And that's, um, you're just, that's such a, a witness to, to our society of, of uh, the, the gift of being human. That is so well said, Molly. Thank you. That's, uh, it is, it's, it's very noble. And uh, I, I, I still remember uh, uh, carrying my dad off to bed, you know, as he used to carry me off to bed, you know, many years prior, you know, and, and you just you're just sort of returning the favor. I love that image, yeah, because we we all need someone who's who's taking care of us, and we'll have different moments in our lives where we'll be you know more fit and spry, and other moments of our lives where where we you know will will our our health will be in decline, and we'll need someone to to take care of us, and so um, that's that's part of being human, and um, 
it's it's a gift actually to be able to to go through that um to be able to recognize this is part of being human too but it, i should point out the california catholic conference uh, you can go to cacatholic.org and uh, you learn about all of the the bills they're they're following through the legislature the things they advocate for the things they advocate against and also you can sign up for legislative alerts there uh so you get notified of things that are coming up that that we should be paying attention to molly i greatly appreciate you taking the time to be with us and uh, we'll look forward to our paths crossing again soon sounds good thanks so much bob thank you molly that's uh, molly sheehan uh, the uh, associate director for healthy families for the uh, uh, california catholic conference and uh, again she will be one of the featured speakers at the annual Respect Life Gathering, which is taking place Saturday, January 13th, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at St. Lawrence the Martyr Parish, 4325 Don Julio Boulevard in North Highlands. Uh, Respect Life leaders and teams are invited to this annual Respect Life Ministry Gathering. Uh, Bishop Soto will, Bishop Jaime Soto will, will start the, uh, the uh, day with Holy Mass at 8 a.m., and then the gathering will be from 9 a.m. Uh, till noon. Speakers include Heather Suarez, Renee and Lily Perez, and Molly Sheehan. For more information, you can uh, contact Yasmin Ortiz. That's J-O-R-T-I-Z at scd.org. And anything you want to know about the uh, uh, diocese here and uh, the various ministries within the diocese, go to scd.org. That's Sacramento Catholic Diocese, SCD. Org, and it will be all there, right there, including uh, how to contact the Bishop's Hour. If you have a, a guest idea or a, 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 a program topic that you think would be of interest to uh, our listeners, maybe something happening in your parish, a parish festival, a, a parish retreat, uh, speakers coming in, or, or some special ministry you have, uh, maybe somebody in your Catholic school or or your public school is doing something, doing the Lord's work out there. We, we want to hear from you and uh, put those people on the air to spread the good word uh, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our wonderful Catholic faith. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Good morning. This is Sister Maria, and I'm the Formation Director for the Seminarians, and you are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Sister Maria, for uh, 
all you do with our great vocations department here at the Diocese of Sacramento. We should announce this is a long ways off, or it seems like a long ways off, but it'll be here tomorrow, I'm sure. Uh, circle these dates. Uh, June the 15th is the annual vocations dinner, which will be up in Auburn this year. Uh, it's a great event. You get to meet all our seminarians and uh, some wonderful speakers and, and just a, a really fun event as well, a real joyful event. And then uh, June the 18th at Christian Brothers High School, the annual priest and seminarian basketball game. And when we'll announce when the tickets are available because you need to get them right away because that is always a sold-out event. It's packed. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. So, uh, again, circle those dates. June 15th, the Vocations Dinner up in Auburn, and we'll give you more details as, as we get closer. And then June the 8th, that's the Saturday, June uh, 15th, and then June the 18th, the annual priest, and they're already practicing, the annual priest and seminary and basketball game at Christian Brothers High School. Well, we're pleased to welcome in uh, Marie Leatherby, the Executive Director of the Sacramento Life Center. Marie, good day to you. Good day, Bob. Thanks for having me on. You're coming through loud and clear on the phone. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, and I hope you and your family had a merry and holy Christmas and uh, looking forward to a prosperous new year. Yes, we are. I hope your family as well. Yes. Yeah, we've had wonderful Christmas and New Year's. And Santa came, I presume? Yep, Santa came <laughs> and got everything we wanted. And, oh, good. Yep, and now we're ready to take on 2024. I don't, I, I say that again, I can't believe it's really 2024. That's, that sounds like, it's, it sounds futuristic. It sounds like way off in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's here. It flew by. Time yes. flies. Yes, indeed. So uh, big doings at the Life Center. It seems like every year you're expanding. You're getting, uh, I don't like the word bigger, but you're you're seeing more people. You're helping more people. You're, you're expanding your services. Um, uh, you've become a real positive force here in the Sacramento area. Oh, thank you. Yeah, every year it just seems like, uh, you're right, we add something new, we fill a hole in our cheese to better serve our clients and the women in Sacramento, and, you know, people are so generous, so it's that generosity that allows us to do that, but yeah, we just, you know, every year the numbers go up, um, we able to hire more people to able to see all those women and have a great staff and we're just really excited about 2024 and even helping more women and finding new ways you know we're doing all kinds of studies and meetings to what can we do to make the Sacramento Life Center uh, the place where every woman wants to go when she finds out she's pregnant you know it's just yeah we and just be a force for life yeah, that is that is truly, I, I think, the, the biggest concern I always have, whether whether it's you folks or it's St. Vincent de Paul or it's the Gabriel Project or or uh, any any one of a number of uh, even Sacramento Food Bank, uh, how to get the word out so that people that really need what you offer know it's available, and and um, I, I know you're you're number of people you see goes up every every single year and I know the word's getting out but I, I'm always you know in my mind I'm sure you, you and your staff are doing the same thing how do we how can we be sure we're reaching everybody that there's not somebody out there that's alone and needs help and doesn't know where to turn right and you know we do everything we can we hope most people find us online or see a sign and the other thing is collaborating with all these organizations, mm -hmm. St. Vincent de Paul, um, Gabriel Project, Food Bank. We do collaborate and we refer our patients to them and they refer people to us. So we hope, you know, we're just a big safety net um, that, you know, for all these pregnant women in town, they, you know, they know to come to us to uh, start their pregnancy here and, and get get the help they need. 
Do other social services providers, uh, sometimes even governmental social service providers, do they refer people to you? They do, yes. Um, uh, several different agencies, but one in particular we've been seeing a lot from is um, the immigration services. Uh-huh. There's a lot of women who um, it, that don't have insurance, they don't have anywhere to go, they're pregnant. And so they bring them to us to help them get on, you know, the Medi-Cal insurance um, to get to, you know, doctors that will see them, get them all the resources they need, things for the baby. So sometimes they bring, they brought women to us that are like ready to deliver. Wow. And, uh, you know, yeah. So we hook them up with everything they need to get that baby home from the hospital and and provide, be able to provide for it. So, yeah, so we, that's an agency. Um, believe it or not, people don't believe me, but Planned Parenthood sends people to us all the time. Mm. <laughs> and even though they won't admit it in public, you know, they, they know that uh, we do the, you know, that they don't do much to help a woman that wants to have a child if they want to keep it. And we do so. Well, it's, um, that's really you know that br- brings mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a tear to my eye uh, that there's there's somebody there that that is willing to you know not dig their heels in and just pretend like you don't exist. Right. That they're 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 willing to do the right thing when it comes to somebody who really wants to have that baby. Yeah, yeah. There's there are people there that uh, tell them you know go to the life center, and so. Um, we get those and there's other government agencies, um, to, you know, we do free STD testing. Mm-hmm. So we're on the county lists for that. We're, um, all of the UC systems, uh, UC colleges and mm-hmm. local have us on their referral lists. Oh, very so good. we do get there. Yeah. Because so sometimes those things uh, become political, you know, and, and it becomes, an eight to seven to vote one way or the other, whether to put you on the list or not to put you on the list. All you're doing is being on the same list that every other health provider's on. Right. Yeah. And I think we, you know, they've come to know us and, and, um, and our services and we're not political. We're just there to help women. So I think we've been around long enough that um, once they know us, they trust us, you know, they trust to send people to us. Um, you know, that might not happen all the time, but almost every nonprofit in town, women's empowerment, um, well space, um, you know, um, they all, they all refer to us. That's really, really encouraging. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. They, and, and we refer back. So we, we do have a really nice network and collaboration with lots of other organizations because when it all comes down to it, we all want to help um, help these families, help these women, these children, um, you know, thrive and have their families thrive and get better and be able to provide for them. So, so if somebody is undocumented, they're relatively new here. Um, you don't know necessarily how they got here, what the circumstances of that are. Are there, are there any holdbacks as to what you can do to help them? No, I mean, in fact, we just had, um, you know, a lot of them come across the border and there are, you know, agencies that'll help them try to get settled. And, Mm -hmm. um, but they, they bring them to us just for all the medical um, get them on, you know, our two-year uh, baby needs program, the parenting classes. We have lots of bilingual um, uh, employees, and so they know that, you know, we can really sit with them and work with them and help get them connected where they might not be able to. So they really do, um, There's, you know, bring them to us just to, to help them help the families get connected with all kinds of things, you know, WIC and, and all that. So and they're, they're eligible for all of that. 
Yes. They're eligible for WIC and, and uh, it's women, infants, and children. Yes, if, uh, if they're and, pregnant. And Medicare, Medi-Cal, and uh, et cetera, if they're pregnant. If they're pregnant, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is nice to know. That's yeah. That's that's really good to know, and and it's it's it's. I mean, that's again, that's wonderful stuff. It's, yeah, I mean, we don't judge anybody's situation. We just, you know, um, you know, we're we're not bringing any politics into it. We just know that there's a family that, and a baby in that womb that needs, um, it's going to need care. So that's the angle we come from, and. That must be an enormous yeah. relief for some of them to think there's some somebody not just willing to help me, but somebody that actually can help me. Yeah, it really is. Some people are just blown away at the compassion of our staff and everything, you know, you know, the abundance of help that they can get in a short amount of time, connecting them with places, you know, food and shelter. So... Yeah, it's a it's a really good thing, and we we do see quite a few immigrants, and um, also uh, immigrants from you know uh, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Muslims. So we do um, get a lot of them as well, and um, yeah, it, they they feel really relieved. You know, they could they learn to trust us. You know, they're very untrusting at first. Um, and uh, they are just, you know, really, really happy with what we do for them. And, and especially, you know, the baby items and the, sure. um, yeah, all that. Now we have, uh, you know, our nurse practitioners, can they can bring the baby in and she can look at them. We do a little bit of pediatrics, um, you know, if they can't get into their doctor right away and have mm-hmm. questions. So we're... We do a variety of services besides just, you know, the pregnancy test and ultrasound. We're helping people more and more. You know, we have the scholarships right now. We've all those things. But, um, yeah, we do just keep expanding, trying to (laughs) help needs in the community where people, um, yeah, where there might be a, a gap or a hole. And uh, that's what we want to do. We want to help these families. Boy, that's great, great stuff. So uh, you've got a, a baby bottle drive going on? We're yeah, up? that's, yeah, coming up. Um, it's our first big fundraiser of the year. Uh, Lent comes early. We always do it during uh, the 40 days of Lent. And we try to get every church and school to participate. And we really try to make it easy on them. I mean, we drop off uh, the baby bottles, however many they need that they want to hand out or however many students are in the school. And all they have to do is take them home, fill them up with money, cash, coin, or check, and um, bring them back, right, you know, at Easter time. And we come pick them all up and count the money. So it's it's a great Lenten um you know, sacrifice type of fundraiser. And it really does, uh, we raise quite a bit of money from it. And we hope everybody will participate this year, that every church will hand them out and hand them out to the kids. And some people take one and just put it in their office on the desk and people fill it up all lent, you know. And so just everybody, if they can carry around a baby bottle and, and, uh, collect money we really really appreciate it but we're going to have a really interesting convergence and i think it proves that god has a sense of humor ash wednesday this year (laughs) is valentine's day i know i saw that (laughs) i think god is laughing (laughs) what are you humans gonna do with this one (laughs) i don't know oh that's (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I guess it's not funny, but it sure it's it just uh, tickles my funny bone. Uh, yeah, that's a first for me. I think. Yeah, that's. I was thinking about that today. How are people not going to have their chocolate? <laughs> I know, I know. We'll have to uh, have have sugarless chocolates or something on. 
on yeah, Ash, big on, sacrifice on Ash Wednesday. And finally, uh, we just have a couple of minutes, but you, you have a partnership now with a coffee company. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, oh, gosh, you caught me off. I can't think of the name. Seven something. Um, oh, yes. Um, oh, Bob, I wasn't ready for that, that one. Seven we weeks. We do um, seven weeks, yes. And the reason they call it that is because, because a coffee bean is the same size as a seven-week fetus. Oh wow! And you, yeah. And so, it's a national coffee company that supports pregnancy centers, and it's really good coffee. And you can go on seven weeks coffee and order it. You can order some every month or buy it. It makes great gifts, and we receive. Um, I think it's two dollars for every uh, bag of coffee they sell. So. We've yeah, it's a really fun one, and um, that people can just get their coffee delivered and be supporting of us at the same time. Yes, very good. Well, Marie, uh, always uh, always good to talk with you. Uh, blessings for the new year, and uh, we'll look forward to our past crossing again real soon. Okay, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Marie. God Bye-bye. bless. That's uh, Marie Leatherby, who's the executive director of the Sacramento Life Center, which has been in Sacramento for over 50 years. And they're now offering college scholarships to some of the the people that they see that that are in need of a college scholarship. So it's really, really wonderful stuff. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town, Uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento, who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. held high such small sacrifice if not joined with my life I sing in vain tonight may the words I say